This episode is brought to you by Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to get special rates on life insurance for health conscious people like cyclists. If you are listening to the show, there's a high chance that you're an avid cyclist. If so, support the show and check out Health IQ's life insurance rates specifically for cyclists. Learn more at healthiq.com forward slash semi pro cycling. From semi pro cycling, I'm Damien Roos. Please listen carefully. This is an important message. The pursuit of performance in sport is not healthy. If you are participating in cycling at a high level, you are not healthy. Even pros. Actually, pros stand out as the best example of what not to do if you want to ride for the health benefits. Health is not a purposeful part of being a pro. In terms of longevity, I found two studies linking Tour de France riders with living longer than their age cohorts, and I also found a meta-analysis on elite athletes that shows that they live longer than the general population. So why would I say that pros are fit and unhealthy? The obsessive nature that high performance requires and the compromises it needs to thrive place extra stress on the body, mind, and support systems. Things like the load needed to build the endurance required to compete at the highest level impacts the riders during their careers and can swing the pendulum in the opposite direction when they retire. Just Google Alan Davies. But I'm not here today to talk about pro cyclist health as it will mostly oscillate between health and fitness. I'm here to say that health is not always considered for the everyday athlete or the serious cyclist or the occasional bike rider and maybe even you. It's more dangerous though as you might be oscillating between health and sickness or even death. Hello and welcome to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the cycling show about the spirit of road cycling. Whether you are just starting out or an experienced rider, Semi-Pro Cycling helps you unleash your potential and transform your life. Today in our feature segment, part two of a three-part series on longevity. In part one, I gave you my take on how to ride forever. The idea of setting yourself challenges that you can build towards with regular riding based on setting your intentions. If you haven't listened to it, go back, find it on Apple Podcasts and check it out. This episode though, why you are fit and unhealthy and what that has to do with longevity. Sure, in the world of high performance, athletes might actually be better off in the long run. But in the world of everybody else, what risks are you taking by not looking after your health and what can you do about it? Amateur cyclists are training as hard as ever, sometimes as hard as the professionals, but without the support team around them, putting themselves at greater risk of injury and illness, not to mention all the other factors that contribute to you being unhealthy. Diet is the first that comes to mind, but there's others. Before we go any further though, let's define health. Tackling a definition of health that includes the wholeness of a person is hard. Health isn't just about the physical. It's about the psychological, social, and spiritual too. It's about waking up with good energy. It's about vitality. The World Health Organization defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease. This is a great start, but I like a definition that's a bit more practical. Sickness 
wellness, fitness. These are three measures of health, and to understand how they relate to each other, think of them on a spectrum, with sickness or disease on the left-hand side, and fitness, performance on the right-hand side, and wellness, wholeness, smack bang in the center. This spectrum applies to individual measures as much as it does to the overall well-being. And as you move away from wellness, you either move towards fitness or sickness. Understanding and controlling the factors that influence your movement on this spectrum more or less are the short answer to the supposedly incredibly complicated and confusing question of what we humans should eat and how we should move in order to be maximally healthy. We also have to factor in accidents or bad luck. I'll get to that in a moment. To give you a definition of health that works within this spectrum, I lifted the following from somewhere, and to me, it just sticks. Health is the capacity to enjoy life and withstand its challenges. This definition helps me place thresholds on each end of my spectrum, because if I'm not enjoying life or withstanding its challenges, something's off and I need to move in the opposite direction. I think about it like this. Getting the best out of yourself is not always about performance. It's also about living better in your body, a better mental state, and a better world. But many cyclists don't make the connection between what they do on the bike and what they do off it. This may sound obvious, but this is about cyclists that use their cycling as a license to live unhealthily when off the bike. They aren't making a lifestyle choice to be healthy. When health is defined as more than just free from disease, you get a clearer picture of what compromises you're making for performance or what elements of health you're neglecting. Either way, you aren't maximizing your full human potential. This conversation about health may save your life. And if I keep talking to you and giving you better tools and you can integrate these into your life, you will age very well. You'll live a long time and you'll have a lot of fun doing it. Let's talk about the far right of the spectrum I mentioned earlier, fitness. Specifically in cycling terms, it's the ability to perform the exercise task of riding a bike. In terms of racing, it's riding a bike faster than other people. As far as choosing a physical activity, you've chosen wisely. There are health benefits to cycling, of course there are. But let's just lump cycling into the category of physical activity. Overall, scientific evidence has shown the major beneficial effects of physical activity on health. A review found an abundance of evidence supporting health and other outcomes of increased physical activity. The areas in which gains would accrue include the following, all-cause mortality, cardiovascular mortality, life satisfaction, coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, colon cancer, ovarian cancer. There's a whole bunch, a really, really long list. And While they are impressive, cycling is not the silver bullet you may think it is. Because of these great and significant benefits to your health, you would think that more is better when it comes to riding your bike. This is not necessarily true. Really, how much is too much? To get an idea of this, first, we have to measure fitness. Here's the way I think about measuring cycling fitness, and anyone with a power meter will know it's not revolutionary. Fitness is your power curve. The thing is, this also works for other other physical activities, but let's stick to cycling. Picture a two-dimensional chart with duration, 
time on the x-axis at the bottom and power watts on the y-axis on the side. Now plot your max power at each time duration. The highest power you can sustain for 5 seconds, 34 seconds, 28 minutes, 6 hours, 17 minutes and so on. Then draw a line connecting them and the bigger the area under the line, the fitter you are. Not the healthier you are though. The common thread of effort needed in any type of cycling are durations longer than approximately one minute. And this is your aerobic fitness, also known as your endurance, is the main issue I see with road cyclists. The pursuit of endurance causes the most damage, partly due to the time you're actively riding, which is a lot, a lot, a lot. The uncommon knowledge is that the impact that those long hours in the saddle has on your health is still not well understood. It may or may not be healthy, but yes, when it comes down to it, there is such things as too much cycling. That's just common sense, especially if your goal is to optimize health. There will come a point when riding an extra five hours per week doesn't make you healthier, and eventually there will come a second point when riding an extra five hours will actually make you less healthy. Exactly where the second point lies is an ongoing debate, and I won't go into it now, but there are a few arguments out there how endurance exercise weakens the heart and causes damaging inflammation. These aren't directly backed up with data or solid science, so at this point, scientists just don't know precisely how long you can ride on any given day, week, or even if years of endurance riding might impact your health negatively. So in theory, there's no maximum amount of time spent on the bike that impacts your health. What has been an interesting discovery about increasing the load or amount of time you spend exercising is the number crunching that Alan Cousins did on his own athletes, where he found higher cases of injury, including niggles, when comparing high load athletes to lower load athletes. So those looking for elite performance in endurance sports, which equals a high training load, are not as healthy in our definition as lower load athletes. And speaking of lower load athletes or riders, what is the minimum of aerobic activity recommended by the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization recommends at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic physical activity per week, or at least 75 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic physical activity in bouts of at least 10 minutes. In addition, they say you can go up to 300 minutes per week of moderate intensity or 150 minutes of vigorous intensity as well as adding muscle strengthening activities for two or more days of the week. So if you're not getting these minimums, then it might work against your health. And considering that one day we are going to have a defined sweet spot for time on the bike. But for now, we have to take in the whole picture of the person to get an understanding of why cycling a lot can be considered too much. Life stress is one answer proposed by Alan Cousins, and I tend to agree. This is why you have to factor in all of your lifestyle choices, not just the riding. And it's these lifestyle choices outside of cycling that may be leading you towards sickness. When we move to the other side of the spectrum, it becomes clear that cycling doesn't have all the answers to better health. In fact, the compromises in health you risk when aiming for fitness or not aiming for fitness can lead to sickness, chronic disease to be specific, and chronic disease eventually leads to death. When we look at the top five leading killers in the United States, which are heart disease, cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, stroke, and accidents, aka bad luck, 
you can ride and still be on your way to one of these lifestyle diseases. You are at risk because, as stated earlier, health is not simply the absence of disease, and you may still find any of the markers that predict diseases, including raised blood pressure, raised glucose levels, abnormal blood lipids, overweight, obesity. The causes, the risk factors of chronic diseases are well-established and well-known. A small set of common risk factors are responsible for most of the main chronic diseases. These risk factors are modifiable and the same in men and women. They are unhealthy diet, physical inactivity, and tobacco use. Many more risk factors for chronic diseases have been identified, but the major modifiable risk factors in conjunction with non-modifiable risk factors such as age and hereditary explain the majority of new events of chronic disease. The bad news is that medicine has no effective treatment for chronic disease. It is symptomatic only. The doctor gives you a drug to bring your cholesterol down, a different drug to raise your bone density. You might need bariatric surgery if you have morbid obesity. If you have clogged up coronary arteries, they give you a bypass surgery. If you become glucose intolerant, the doctor can put you on insulin. But all these things are not fixes. They're just masking the problem. The most powerful lesson here is knowing that you can change your own destiny or at least give yourself the best shot possible of health and longevity by making some simple lifestyle changes. How do you maintain your health or reverse the damage that's been done and restore your health? Find out after the break. This episode is brought to you by Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to get special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like cyclists. The very topic that we're talking about in this episode recognizes that cycling is a great way to reduce your chances of disease and death. Health IQ recognized this through research that has shown that avid cyclists have a 45% lower cancer risk, 18% lower heart disease risk, and up to 28% lower risk of early death. As an example, one of the studies that Health IQ used to fight for you and better rates is a study that was done in the year 2000 in the Journal of the American Medical Association, where cyclists who rode for an hour a day have an 18% lower risk of all-cause mortality than non-cyclists. For those who ride an hour and a half or more, the benefit increases to 28%. And that's why they fight for you to get cheaper life insurance. Don't get penalized for your family history, your BMI, and any other attributes. Get rewarded for your healthy, conscious lifestyle. If you are an avid cyclist, support the show and check out Health IQ's life insurance rates specifically for cyclists. Learn more about what they can do for you at healthiq.com forward slash semi-procycling. Welcome back to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. So far, we've looked at fitness and sickness, how your cycling on its own is not the savior. But how can you get healthy and stay healthy for longevity? Well, I've got solutions for you. By changing the most controversial and essential part of being healthy, your diet. Why? Exercise doesn't cancel out your diet. Can't outrun a bad diet. You can't out-train a bad diet. Can't out-train... A bad diet. You cannot out-train a bad diet. You, you can't out-train a bad diet, right? You can't out-train a bad diet. You cannot out-train a bad diet. You can't outrun it. You can't out-dance it. You can't out-weightlift it. You can't out-anything a bad 
diet. That's right. You can't outride a bad diet. And this is definitely a whole other podcast, though. I recognize it is the one thing that is mostly in your control that can impact your health. So I want to dedicate an entire show to it. So I won't talk about it in this episode. Sorry. What I will talk about is the other ways to change. Now, these don't directly address the three main risk factors I mentioned before the break. Those being unhealthy diet, physical inactivity, and tobacco use. Other than the physical activity recommendation, they address life stress, emotion, relationship, areas that anyone can use to improve their health. I believe you cannot maintain health without following some basics like mobility work and lots of sleep, all of which are part of developing good daily habits. Sustainable health rests upon a foundation of healthy habits, and this means a healthy relationship with food, good sleep, hygiene, an ability to listen to one's body and to be honest about what one hears. Many, if not all, health problems associated with endurance sports can be averted this way. And the best way that I've come across is to frame this as health and physical practice. A daily life strategy that includes health practice and one hour a day of physical practice at a minimum. And this will ground you in a healthy life. Now, I know that everyone has daily demands that we often can't predict or control. And life is a moving target based on all the pieces of your life. The goal is to make your physical practice the one thing that you know that you can control today, the one thing that is truly achievable, and the one thing that is exactly what you need to be better tomorrow than you were today. This moves you from thinking, when do I squeeze in this, to a more productive mindset of, hey, this is where I'm going to control this, or this is the only thing I can control today. So where do we start? Let's start with the basics. The best thing you can do is just nailing the basics. There's all sorts of complex things you can do for your health and fitness, but they all require a solid foundation. That's what your mother and your grandmother and your health education teacher and your doctor have already told you. Don't forget to eat your vegetables, to sleep, to actually play and hang out with your kids, and just to move more. The primary principles of health practice are sleep, breathing, and meditation. So sleep, your body repairs at night during sleep. Your physical ability to recover goes down by almost 70% if you do not sleep enough. During nighttime sleep, you experience an increase or a surge in growth hormone and testosterone, two crucial muscle repairing hormones, which also significantly affect the neural growth and the way you feel during the day. Your muscles get a chance to repair, but your adrenals also thank you and are given a chance to relax and your liver is able to do its job of detoxification and your immune system is able to rebuild. Your brain clears up. You can see how important it is. It just comes down to basically getting a minimum of seven to nine hours. There is questions out there about whether you need to get more in order to be effective, especially if you are doing a lot of physical activity, but basically just stick to the basics of getting seven to nine hours, depending on where your optimum level is. The second health practice is breathing exercises and breathing exercises are basically an activity that would involve taking breaths consciously. Every emotion has an impact on our breath. Example, when we're happy and relaxed, we breathe deeply. When we're in anger, we automatically take short breaths. 
So our motive to control these is to control our emotions and our feelings, to relieve stress. But we often find ourselves not able to keep our breaths under control. The best way to achieve this is through the control of breath. When we do breathing exercises and we learn conscious breathing, we're able to control our emotions as well. It's like a remote control for our emotions. If we observe ourselves, there's two types of actions, voluntary and involuntary. Voluntary actions are the ones that we do consciously, like talking, walking, moving our hands. Involuntary actions are the actions that are taken care of by the conscious energy that resides within us, like the conversion of oxygen to carbon dioxide by ourselves. Breathing is really important to take control of your emotions and the state that you're in. Breathing exercises have found a unique place in yoga and more recently in medical science as well. It also helps with our lung function, which is obviously improved, and the quality of oxygen that reaches and nourishes every single cell in our body helps restore health. When you think of breaths, you can classify them into three types, slow, deep, long breaths, which is simple, deep breathing or abdominal breathing, short, rapid, quick blasts of breaths, or rhythmic breathing, which blend the two. You don't need to get fancy with this, but I would just make time for intentional breathing. And the third one is meditation. Meditation is actually doing nothing. You just sit with your eyes closed and just witness and observe your own thoughts without judging without comparing, without imagining, without labeling. It gives us deep rest, far deeper than what sleep offers. Meditation makes you more dynamic, more lively, more focused. It improves your concentration, improves your happiness, reduces your stress, makes you appreciate life. You feel more connected. It will help you sleep. It helps you with awareness and attention. And all it takes is 10 minutes. 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, you would realize how our mind exaggerates and magnifies small problems in life and that you have immense potential to face all challenges of life. We develop love and compassion with others and let go of our habits of criticizing, complaining, and comparing. Meditation should be practiced daily for around 10 minutes at a minimum. There's lots of guided meditations available online for free, on YouTube, on Spotify they have some. There's some great apps like Headspace or Calm. But it's really just a matter of sitting there and listening to yourself, whether they're guided or not. So you can move past any of these guided meditations and just simply get the basics from them. And then you can sit down and just meditate. And remember that it's not concentration, it's deconcentration. So once you've got this health practice down, you'll have more free time to dedicate to your physical practice. And yes, cycling is included in that physical practice, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but I believe one of the most important physical practices is mobility. Kelly Starrett, the godfather of mobility, defines mobility as a movement-based, integrated, full-body approach that addresses all elements that limit movement and performance, including short and tight muscles, soft tissue restriction, joint capsule restriction, motor control problems, joint range of motion dysfunction, and neural dynamic issues. In short... Mobilization is a tool to globally address movement and performance problems. Mobility deteriorates rapidly with a sedentary lifestyle, and without adequate mobility, you are more prone to injuries, and with tight muscles, daily activities become difficult to perform. We create body movement and posture habits, which tend to reduce joint mobility. The benefits of mobility work are less back pain, increased range of motion, injury prevention, improved circulation, less stress, better posture and confidence. There's a lot of ways that you can integrate mobility into your physical practice, whether that is through something like yoga or a daily workout of the day. You can check out Kelly Starrett's daily WOD project where he did a workout every single day for 365 days. You can check out his books, Supple Leopard. I know this sounds a lot like an ad for Kelly Starrett, but he's basically the one that's putting out the information that you can just search and 
it's there plus it's high quality stuff. The second one is aerobic exercises, and this is something I don't need to tell you about, but here goes. Aerobic exercise is any form of exercise activity that is designed to work the cardiovascular system that raises your heart rate and breathing and consequently an increase in the circulation of blood and oxygen throughout the body for an extended period of time. The benefits range from weight loss, improved health heart, improved lung function, improved stamina, immunity, stabilized blood pressure, increased energy levels, more active and dynamic lifestyle, reduced mood swings, etc., so this is where you add your cycling and you can now get a sense of how little you actually need to make you healthy anything than the one hour a day is for other motivations it's not for health also when you're not riding try some variety whether it is structured variety or non-structured try fast walking light jogging running get on a treadmill or an elliptical machine swimming Aerobic dance workouts, stair climbing, rope jumping, you name it, there is many possibilities and there are many ways to get aerobic. The thing here is cycling is a big part of it, yes, and you can use that for whether you're commuting or just getting around as well as training or for enjoyment, but definitely I would see what other ways you can include movements that are on different planes so you're not just sticking to cycling. And the final part of physical practice is strength training. Another known but neglected area of health, especially for cyclists, it is often misunderstood as bulking up about six packs and growing biceps, but that's not the case. And we know that's not the case, but we get sloppy, we get lazy, we figure it's not that important, but it is important, especially for the older athlete. It is actually defined as a type of anaerobic physical exercise that by the use of resistance, it specializes in increasing muscular fitness bone strength and density, tendon and ligament strength, and joint function. Apart from these benefits, it aids in health improvement, increases metabolism, aids in fat loss, overall fitness levels, improved lipid profile. Hence, it is an absolutely critical component. You wouldn't be doing this every day of the week, although you could do small parts of it every day in the week. Maybe look at two or three times a week for your physical practice hour. You can either do it at home with a resistance band or body weight or dumbbells or kettlebells or at a gym or if you have the equipment there are many ways that you can do this even if you start to just slowly integrate this into your life outside of your physical practice okay here's the kicker that is simply the beginning and once you've nailed it and you still have time beyond that you can innovate the heck out of your routine you you can go crazy with what you do but anything you do has to be built on a foundation and those basics are the foundation that will help you make health a sustained part of your life. My final word on this is fitness comes and goes, sickness hopefully doesn't come and go, but what about our health or lack of health? It's always there, so why not take care of it? And look, this is not about instilling fear in you. I don't work that way. This is about unleashing your potential because your health might be holding you back. This is me whispering in your ear and telling you to think more about your choices around your lifestyle, not from above, but as your partner in sorting this shit out. I'm also tired of seeing unhealthy people in our sport when everybody that rides a bike has the opportunity to be the best person they can be. The transformative power of cycling is underutilized for a whole person change. You've started the transformation by riding a bike. You're halfway there. Now let's finish it together.
Let's talk about what's been going on lately. And for me, coaching some pretty cool people that are doing some pretty cool stuff. There's writers all across the world at the moment doing cool stuff. The tour of Kumano in Japan, the port-to-port mountain bike stage race, the baby Giro. There's a lot of cool riding and races happening. And of course, everyone else that I'm coaching that is in a bit of a mid-season break at the moment, looking at what they're going to be doing for the second half of the season. So everyone I coach at the moment is sort of resetting things based on what they've built already this year. And then we're going forward. Things are going to be really cool. A lot of cool races coming up. Outside of that, I've had personally some really annoying setbacks with some surgery, some illness, some random things that have happened to me. So my time on the bike has been limited, but I'm slowly going to build up again. The cool thing actually about taking time off the bike, which I've been forced off the bike now for around eight weeks, and it's going to be a little bit longer before I can get into full capacity again. I can go back to the start. I can go back to the start of what it's like to jump on a bike and not have that fitness. The other day I went out on a ride and I wasn't prepared with the amount of fuel that I took and I suffered. I really, really suffered. I bonked. I blew up. It was only a 100k ride over three hours, but I couldn't handle it. So it was a very good lesson to readjust what I'm actually capable of and have to think a little bit more and not just jump straight in where I thought I was. I have to readjust my food intake, what I can do on a ride, the actual intensity that I can go on a ride. It made me think about there are people out there that are starting the process and they don't even know what these things are, let alone adjusting them. So it's given me a bit of a refresher of what it's like to be in that position. So it definitely helps me when I'm approaching problems for other people because I can start to see what their issues are when they're at that point where they don't have the fitness to do the rides they want to do yet or whatever it is. So that's been an interesting lesson that I've taken away from this. But I'm kind of rambling now. If you're new to semi-pro cycling, check out the back catalogue of shows on all aspects of performance at semiprocycling.com. But that's it. Special thanks to our sponsor, Health IQ. Thanks for listening.